0: Before I jump right into the sermon, I just want to encourage you, um, you know, September the 8th is kind of like a kickoff to the church's year, if you will. It's two kickoffs, one is September the 8th or whatever the day, the Sunday is after Labor Day and also the beginning of the year. And uh, and there's new there's new Bible studies starting up for especially women's Bible studies. We have about five or six women's Bible studies that are starting up this week. So if you if you haven't signed up yet. Um, Make sure you sign up out in the foyer near the ministry table. Great opportunities. We have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, life groups uh, kicking off again. A lot of life groups starting up. If you're not involved in a life group or small groups, make sure you connect with me sometime this week or connect with one of the other staff. We'll make sure that we get you plugged into the the right life group. If there's not one in your area or maybe you'd like to start one, Uh, maybe you're new to the church and you're not plugged in yet, make sure you get plugged in. Or we kind of will build something around you to get you plugged in because being together as the body of Christ on Sunday morning is awesome. But you can't build intimate relationships with one another just by coming on Sunday morning. So we want to create opportunities. Make sure you read your family news bulletin. A lot of exciting things going on. Come back tonight for the worship night. You get to interact there too. You get to connect with more people. But especially through our life groups and our women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, youth ministry, all those things are going on. Pick a place to serve. And pick a, pick a place to get involved for yourself so that you can be a part of this healthy, growing body of Christ that we call Grace Chapel. All right. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people. Whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. You know, it's amazing, this passage, and we're going to kind of go through it. I'm going to share kind of a foundation for what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of maybe six to eight eight weeks. This series called Remnant. It's a series that I've been thinking about for a long time. And one that I'm excited that we're moving, we're moving into now. This morning what I'd like to do is really end one series and begin another at the same time. End our series, Great to Good, and begin our series, Remnant. This has been an exciting, really exciting summer. During this series that we are, that we are passing out of, if you will, God has truly transformed people's lives. I mean, people have come to know Jesus Christ And their lives are being changed. People who were, if you will, maybe backslidden or um, just, they lost their passion. The fire has been lit in their hearts. And they're beginning to live their lives for, for Jesus Christ. So lives have been transformed. Our church has actually grown over the summer, which usually doesn't happen in a church. But more and more people were coming this summer and and made Grace Chapel their home. And our campus, um, the campus we've always dreamed that we could, the way we always dreamed it could be, is starting to take shape. We're not finished yet, but have you seen the landscaping out here? Have you seen this landscaping as you walked in? Anybody see it? All right. Any excited about that? Yeah, I am too. I just want to recognize one person. Um, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to embarrass him for a second. Adam, are you? I know I saw you in here. Where are you, buddy? Adam Wyman's right over here. And Adam, yeah, there you go. I, I told Adam... I don't care what you have to do, but it has to be pretty much finished by September the 8th. And if you drove by here, you saw one person out there in the blazing sun for the last week or more. Actually, it's been it's been a long process of fixing that area but adam single i mean by himself for the most part put all those plants in and we had other people came alongside of him and they got great deals on prices for plants and and for trees and 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 everyone really participated but i just want to point out how much effort and heart went into doing that um you did, a, you did a phenomenal job brother you have your own business now right Yeah. (laughs) I'm giving you a plug. That's what Adam does for a business right now. So I, I really appreciate that. And God, God is helping this church, this campus become all that we've always dreamed it could be. We have a long way to go, but God is moving in a powerful, powerful way. We're a healthy church. And more than anything else, since we started this church in 2000, that's what the leadership of this church has wanted to be a healthy church. Because healthy churches can do things that even, even churches that are much larger, much smaller, doesn't matter, they can't do. Because when you're healthy, you can focus on what's important. And we've been able to focus our attention on what's important, and God has truly blessed us. Great to good prepared us for our new series. One that I believe will really set the course for our church for, the, for years to come. The series is called Remnant, even if you're the last voice. It has, again, been on my heart for a long, long time as I've watched the the world around us change. And I look to see what God may be be doing and the way he may be working things out. It was put on my heart to, for the next, I, I can't, I'm not decided if it's six to eight weeks, but probably next six to eight weeks, laying out what a remnant of God can truly do how God uses his people to impact lives. Most of you know that we've been in a cultural war, a culture war for years, and it didn't start 10 or 20 years ago. I believe with all my heart, one of the main reasons, I'm not saying the only, one of the main reasons for our moral decline is our 1973 decision to end the lives of children through abortion. If you look at the statistics, if you look at this culture, our culture, you can see a lot of things happening after that date and how, how God has, in a sense, um, responded to our decisions. See, no culture can experience God's pleasure when their leadership and people openly choose to attack the very image of God And the most vulnerable among us. I don't talk about abortion all the time when I get up here. Most of you have probably never really heard me talk about it a lot, except that we're doing things to help with, you know, with different places that help moms and the birthing and all that kind of stuff. And and the reason, one of the reasons, I just want to tell you from my heart that I don't pound on it all the time, because I know there are people within the church who've been through that in their own lives, in their past. And I don't really want to bring it up all the time and remind people of a very painful time in their lives. Most of the people in this room would understand that this church, Grace Chapel, would wholeheartedly disagree with abortion. And I believe that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why we're seeing the moral decline in our country as we have, because when you can attack the very image of God and most, the most vulnerable among us while defending the rights of others in that culture, who openly defy and mock God and his commandments, you're you're asking for a bit of trouble. A culture, a country is asking for trouble. Once, Once your most basic principles, once the most basic principle of humanity, the protection of our children has been dismantled, it's only a matter of time before our other fundamental principles are under attack. The, the family unit, the definition of marriage, and, and other, other basic, our basic understanding, if you will, of right and wrong. It's just a matter of time before all these other areas, all these other fundamental biblical principles that many of us hold dear are under attack. Things that would have been unthinkable, unthinkable, even to the non-believer 15 or 20 years ago, are now openly accepted, even by many Christians. And that's what really really has been, been weighing on my heart. That I can get up in church and I can state things that should be undebatable. I mean, undeniable from a biblical standpoint, from the word of God. But you get debate within the church. When that begins to happen, we have a problem. We have a problem. I don't know if anyone's told you yet, but the culture war is over. And I have some good news and I have some bad news. The bad news is we lost. The good news is it's not the end. It's just the beginning. It is just the beginning. In every culture where Christianity is thriving or has thrived and throughout biblical history, God has called to himself a remnant, a remnant I know many people are thinking right now, a remnant. Pastor, you have lost your mind. We don't need a remnant. We need the masses out in full, you know, fighting this battle. We need we need all the people to come together. Let me let me this morning challenge that way of thinking. It would be wonderful if the masses all got together and challenged whatever was happening in the country. But let me let me challenge the the thought process that says that's the only way to bring about moral change, spiritual change in our country. If 78% of the population, it's like 78.4% of the population, claim to be Christians in the United States, then how on earth did we get to where we are right now? Having discussions that your, your grandparents, your parents, would have not thought possible, That we're having right now. How on earth, if almost 80% of the population of this country is Christian, could we have found ourselves where we are as a nation? If sheer numbers were the answer, how on earth did we get here? How could we be in a debate over the definition of marriage? I mean, how, how can that be even possible? It's like debating the definition of the sun and the moon. And some people I know that really begins to, you know, you're kind of getting in your heart. You just got all stressed out. But I, I, I urge you, please, before God, I urge you with all of my heart. Do not take what I'm saying face value this morning. Study the word of God. OK, look at the word of God. God lays the foundation for all of these things. It is not up to the Supreme Court or any legislation or anyone else to define some of the things that are foundational principles. Not just to the United States of America, to humanity. God is the one who defines and has put into place certain institutions. No one else. And so I should and Nothing I'm saying this morning should be... Sho- this, is, this is important. Nothing I say this morning should shock anyone. But I guarantee it will. I guarantee there will be people stirring inside. And what I want to say to you without any emotion... Because you know me, I'm all passionate about things... Without any emotion, like my teacher used to say, if you want to challenge what I'm saying, make sure you have a chapter and a verse, chapter and verse, because I, I totally understand if you think, well, this, I believe that as a country is America, that this should be allowed and blah, blah. Okay. That's, that's America. We live in America, a free country. I'm not, the, I'm not, the, I'm not here this morning, even debating that we live in a free country and people can do this and people can do that. What I'm, what I'm debating, what I'm challenging is that the word of God is true. The word of God is eternal. It comes from God himself. And we will stand on the word of God until the day this pastor drops dead in this church. And not compromise, not be intimidated, not be frightened by what the culture might say or might do if we stand on the word of God. Okay, so that's where we are as a church. Amen. So I I say to you again, if sheer numbers were the answer, then how on earth did we get here? Let me explain something to to everyone. It has never been about how many people call themselves Christian. All right? It's never been about how many people call themselves Christians. It has always been about... Who is a follower of Jesus Christ? Who is living for Jesus Christ? We all remember 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. It says this. Now listen to every word. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is. This is not Jeff's words. These are just the words in the Bible. The commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, must walk as Jesus did. I'm sorry, that does not define 80% of the population of the United States of America. It doesn't define 80% of the humans that are in this country. It defines a remnant of people. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. God doesn't need population. God needs passion. God only needs a remnant. God only needs a group of people. I don't know what the number is in that remnant, but God only needs a a group of people who have a desire to to obey Him, who a desire to follow him to the very end, who will live and die for him, to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's who God needs. He doesn't need population. He doesn't need massive numbers. All he needs is a group of people who will stand for him. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see how God has used individuals and a smaller group of people to do what others thought was impossible. So what is a remnant? What is a remnant? And and how can a few do what over 80% or so, 80 or so percent of the population failed to do? How can a smaller group of people do what most people weren't capable of doing? A remnant means that which remains of the original body or substance. That's what a remnant means. And when we're talking about a remnant in the Bible, we're talking about God's people. It means those who are faithful to God's original truth, despite apostasy or opposition. And brothers and sisters, we are going to face opposition. If you haven't faced it already, it's coming. You're going to be squeezed more and more and more. And what God is saying is through through that testing period, through that trial period, that is when you get the pressure those who stand for Christ, those who hold on to the truth, not opinions, not going on and listening to everyone's opinion, but those who hold to truth, they will be God's remnant. They will be the ones that God uses to impact the world around them. Remnant is used 540 times in the Bible. In many cases, the remnant concept is, is disguised by the way we translate uh, the languages into English. So many times you don't see just the word remnant because of the way it's translated into our English language. In the Old Testament, remnant is translated by six Hebrew root words. All of them have their underlying meaning as what remains, what's left. Those who escaped the rest, the survivors. It's the underlying meaning, Old Testament and New Testament. That's what it means. That's what remnant means. Throughout the Bible, God uses a remnant to bring about his purpose. Why would our time be any different? Why would our our time now, 2013 going into 2014, why would our time be any different? God uses a remnant throughout biblical history to bring about... The change to bring about the transformation that he wants to see in the world. In Isaiah chapter one, verse nine, it says, unless the Lord almighty had had left us some survivors, also translated a remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Now, I've heard a lot of people and a lot of people right now are thinking, man, the way I see it, we are becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. All the things that are happening around us, the kind of things that we're doing, the kind of behavior that we're exhibiting in the country, we're becoming like a Sodom and Gomorrah. But let me encourage you, okay? I also see God stirring in the hearts of his people, I see God stirring in the hearts of Christians. The more they're squeezed, the more they stand. The tighter they get, the more they get pushed back, the more they push forward. They stand up. They understand who they are in relation to God. They understand they're one of his and they stand boldly in their schools, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, in their communities. They're standing up for Jesus Christ more boldly because they're being pushed back. So as much as we see all the things around on going on around us, we also see a stirring in the heart of people who love Jesus Christ. God always keeps a remnant and they emerge at his appointed time. God always keeps a remnant. People think, man, I don't see any Christianity happening over, Christianity happening over here. and I don't see. We're the last bastion of hope and, and all these kinds of things. But God always keeps a remnant. Let me give you an example. The example of China. The example of China. In 1966, a brutal campaign against all perceived challenges to Maoist orthodoxy was unleashed on that nation. If you didn't go along, and 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 they had the they had a young they had these young zealots, if you will, uh, who were they were called uh, the Red Guard, the Red Guard of Mao's central the Cultural Revolution, and these these this Red Guard would go around and they would basically wipe out anything that stood in the way of this Maoist orthodoxy, this whatever you want to call it, moving in and taking over. Christians during that time went through a horrendous experience. As I was leaving, as some of you were leaving today, someone whose grandparents were Chinese, they, they, they went through this. Her, her grandfather was a pastor, and he had to flee to another country. So they were either chased out of China, they, were, they went into hiding, or basically they were killed. Many, many Christians didn't survive this. They didn't survive. During this decade-long crusade, if you will, many people were killed. And many people thought at that time that Christianity and other religions had been wiped out in China. They no longer existed. They were gone. And for many believers in Jesus Christ around the world to watch this, they were overwhelmed. They thought it was over. As a matter of fact, a man named Richard C. Bush pronounce that basically communism was the victor in 1970. He said, communism is victorious. Here's how he said it. I love this. It was a religion unto itself and communism had vanquished Christianity, vanquished Christianity. There's only one small problem. They forgot to tell the remnant that they were vanquished. You need to do that. You know what I mean? When you talk about... I love the word vanquished. They vanquished them. They're vanquished. In my mind, that's like they're completely and utterly wiped out. They're completely gone. It's all over. So they vanquished them. But they didn't tell the vanquished that they were vanquished. In 2008, the economist cited a former Chinese official who had become a, a convert to Christianity. He said that there were over 100 million Christians... In China, 100 million Christians in China. This number was confirmed by the director of government bureaucracy who oversaw religion in the country. So he basically said, yep, that's basically right. Conservative estimates project that there will be over 135,190,000 Christians in China by the year 2025. And I believe with all of my heart that is so underestimated it's not even funny. Because as things loosen up and people begin to feel the freedom to come out. That, I was on vacation. I was at a camp. And one person who it was a missionary to China was sharing about how they were able to open one church in this area. One church. And they thought, well, you know, a few people will show up. Like, give them Thousands of people came out and showed up. So they're not quite dead. They're not quite dead. So what it's worth, let's just adopt the estimate of roughly maybe 100, to 105 million Christians in China, people who follow Jesus Christ in China today. If this figure is even remotely close to being accurate, which it it is, it's pretty much documented, that means 8% of the population of China are now confessed followers of Jesus Christ. If 8% of the Chinese population confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, which they do, that means Christians outnumber atheists in China. Okay? And atheism is officially the endorsed and publicly taught religion, the religious position. So for all those years in 1966, all you can talk about, all you can, can shove at people is atheism. And in 2013, Christians outnumber atheists in China. They tried to crush Christianity, and it only grew. Underground, it only grew. Now it's coming, now it's more and more coming out. It's when, when you try to do that, it's like trying to put a fire out with gasoline. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. Ask the Romans. Rome wasn't won because, you know, Rome was won because of the martyrs. People looking at these people and saying, how is it possible that they're singing and praising God on the way to be eaten by lions or, or burned to death on stakes? How is this possible? And God, through his remnant, moved in people's hearts. God, through, through different people moving in different places, a small group of people, countries are one. People's lives are changed. I led a woman to Christ who is Chinese about two years ago. She was sitting in my office and she said, I was taught all my life that God was a myth, that God didn't exist, that only fools believed in God. God, there's no way that God exists. And she said, even as a little girl, I always knew they were wrong in my heart. I always knew I had this feeling in my heart that there, I didn't know who he was, I do not know what, but I believed there was a God. And she sat down with me and said, now that she was here, can you, can you tell me about this God? She said, I don't want to commit intellectual suicide here but I want you to tell me about God. And I, I was able to sit down with her and logically, rationally walk her through the gospel. First, the existence of God and all the way to the gospel. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. You can't wipe out something, my friends, that is not external, it's internal. The law of God is written on people's hearts. And the Bible says, it's about this remnant, okay? This is, this is it's been from the beginning and it will be this way at the end. The Bible says that, that the, the, the remnant of God will battle against the enemy in the last days. In, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, Satan is angry with God's last day remnant, and he, and he wages war against them. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, also translated the, 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 uh, the, uh, the remnant of her seed. So Satan will will wage war against the remnant. The remnant will always be there. They've been there from the beginning. They will be there at the end, waging war, standing up for Jesus Christ to the very end. God will always have a remnant to stand. See, a remnant are people of unshakable integrity who love truth and honesty they love truth and honesty. In Zephaniah chapter three and verse 13, it says, "The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall they dece- a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid." One of the things we're going to be talking about during this series is, what does a remnant look like? And I love that. They shall not be afraid. They will not be afraid. What can, you, what can man do to me, the Bible says. Don't fear the one who can kill the body. Feel the one who can kill the body and the soul. There's nothing for us to fear. To live is Christ and to die is gain. There's nothing for believers, true believers in Jesus Christ to fear. When God raises up a remnant, they will not be afraid. Although Satan deceives the whole world, he fails in deceiving the remnant. Because they are loyal to God, because they stand for Jesus Christ. They are strong and they keep the commandments of God. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ held in their hearts. Even someone who grows up in a country where they are not allowed to even speak of God, except in a derogatory manner, hold the truth of God in their hearts. You can't put out a fire that is in someone's mind and heart. See what's? I believe with all my. It is time for a remnant to rise and bring revival to a culture that has lost its direction, that has lost its purpose, that has lost its identity. Our country is confused. Many, so many people have turned their back on God, or are trying to walk right in the middle of the road. So they just, they're good here, they're good there. I believe in a God somewhere out there. But they stay right in the middle so they don't have to worry about either side. See, here's what I was hoping to do this summer. My desire this summer was to start a revival in your heart. Great to good was about starting a revival in your heart. About moving people who didn't know Christ into a relationship with Christ. People who have a relationship with Jesus Christ into a people who are passionate about God and are willing to stand up for Him. People who are passionate about God just to light them on fire and send them on their way. And there are so many people in this church who have been set on fire for Jesus Christ, who are doing things not because the church has it as a program, but because God has laid it upon their hearts. And I'm going to be sharing some of those things. I'm going to be having those people come up here on stage over the next few weeks and sharing with you not what I told them to do, Not what the church programs told them to do, but what God has told them to do in their own hearts. They are a remnant of people who are reaching out to their community. I want, I wanted great to good to start a revival in our hearts. I want Remnant, even if you're the last voice, to take that revival and spread it out in our community, to start reaching out to our community. God has opened up doors for this church that are mind-boggling. We are in every school around here, invited in through archery, almost every day of the week. We don't have enough people to keep up with the demand of the schools inviting us in. And basically saying, say whatever you want. Now, we're careful what we say because we want to keep getting invited back. Well, we started out with two classes last year in the beginning of the year. We have 15 classes this year. God is moving. God is moving. Places like the, the Cincinnati Zoo calling and asking, can you help us build an aquaponic system in our new restaurant and greenhouse? Places like the, you know, like, like the, Crone, the Crone Conservatory asking us to come and build an aquaponic system there and the opportunities that we had to talk to people who were in the media, who were just, who worked there. I mean, just the opportunities that God is giving us as a church to reach out to the community. He starts that fire in our hearts and he says, now go and take what I've given to you and reach out into your community. Make a difference in the lives of the people in your community. Our series, amen. Our series, Great to Good, helped us understand, helped us better understand the the heart of God. It helped us understand what God expects of us and hopefully prepare us for a post-Christian culture. Now, I know when I say that, some people, just their heart just thinks, post-Christian culture, what are you talking about? It it kind of gets you discouraged when I say that. But I'm telling you, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Be excited. I'm excited because instead of depending on a political politicians, and I'm not criticizing. Please, I don't not criticizing the the politicians or anyone. I'm picking on anybody. I was joking a couple weeks ago, and you all knew that. Uh, But here's what I'm saying. Instead of us as Christians, depending on politicians and legislation to fight our battles for us, we will be dependent completely on God. Prayer will be our primary weapon. We won't depend on someone else to try to do something that's internal, that only happens in the heart. Can we still use a political system? Can we still use legislation? Sure we can, but it cannot be our primary mode of trying to change culture, trying to influence culture. Influencing culture starts in the heart. It starts inside. And we need to be men and women of prayer. We need to be reading the word of God and understanding the word of God. God wants to unleash His plan and purpose on this culture. He wants to unleash His plan and purpose on this culture, but it's going to come in a different form. It will come through a remnant. It will not come through the same channels. The culture war is over, but it's just the beginning, and that's why I'm so excited. God will separate the wheat from the chaff, and He will refine His people. The church will find itself Filled with people who are not afraid to speak the truth. Filled with people who are not intimidated by loud, the loud voices of the culture around them. Filled with people who will not follow and align with smooth-talking, deceitful leaders. People, filled with people who know, who have the discernment between right and wrong, who have the wisdom. We are in a culture, I sit back sometimes and I watch people talk on television and they are completely lying. Everyone, and people are actually scratching their heads and debating over it. Well, He's lying? Well, he said this, but, but then he said that, but, but he said that he didn't say that. I'm confused. I'm not confused. You're a bold-faced liar. That's all it is. I mean, oh, you can't say that. Now, people aren't bold-faced liars. They just misrepresented and misunderstood and miscalculated the thing they said a month ago. It's, It's called lying. You're not confused when your children do it. Why are we confused when those in leadership do it? It's not confusing. It's called, I am a bold-faced liar. And the church will be filled with men and women who can discern and have the wisdom to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is a truth and what is a lie. Men and women who are guided by God's word, not by shifting cultural trends and ideas and slick slogans. My goodness, someone does something horrendous and all they need to do is sit in an office and go... How can we change the definition or what we call that to make it sound nicer and acceptable and palatable? Let's use this term. Everyone use that term because, you know, you're killing someone, but let's call it something nicer so that everyone goes along with it and change the subject and make it sound like this and move the shells around so we all go, oh, which one is it under? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's wrong. Doesn't matter what people call it, doesn't matter what they say about it, it is wrong. The church will be filled with students, really, students who no longer defend or blindly follow cultural icons because you like their latest movie or their latest song or how they dress. I love you guys with all my heart. Don't want you to t- get ticked off at me, but listen, there comes a point in your life where if you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to follow Jesus Christ, not this person over here who blatantly defies everything he stands for because he has, they have a good tune. I like the songs too. I think it's a good tune. But that doesn't become your idol. That doesn't be, we cannot follow after people who are blatantly against Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. We are a remnant. We follow our Lord and Savior. He's your Savior. For a lot of people, it's like, yeah, I signed up for Jesus to be my Savior. But let me explain something to you. You signed up for, if you did, Savior and Lord. And Lord means He's the director of your life. He decides. He makes the rules. He dictates how I live my life. It's not just about getting an insurance policy to heaven. It's living for Christ here on earth. That is God's remnant. Listen, I, I'm, this is a, call it a prophecy. There's coming a day very soon where the cultural, the carnal, the chameleon Christian will have no place to hide. Will have no place to hide. You can't stand the road in the middle of the road anymore. Because God's word will ring clearer than ever. The line has been drawn in the sand that is so straightforward that it will be God's word clearly ringing and the word of our culture. And God's word says things like this in Luke 11:23: Whoever is not for me is against me. If you're not with me, you are against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. That's not too difficult to understand. I don't understand my Bible. I don't understand. I, this, I was confusing. Is that confusing? Anybody? anybody confused? No. We will understand the real meaning of James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You, 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 you get on this side, there's no shades of gray here, okay? If you are here, you are an enemy of God. You are blatantly defying God. You are going against God. God clearly dictates to us in his word what is right and what is wrong. Anyone who stands on that side and aligns with the world and says, I agree with the world, the Bible clearly says is not aligned with God. I'm excited because we can finally get to work we can finally get to work, we can finally show the world what it means to follow Jesus Christ, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As our culture continues to deteriorate, people will begin to realize and understand that tolerance of sin and the destruction of the family unit only leads to misery and suffering. People will begin to understand clearly there will be a line drawn and they will be able to discern. They'll be able to see that the dismantling and and basically the constant and vicious attack on godliness and truth will only lead them to misery and suffering. Like in the last days of Israel, the people will cry out for deliverance. And when they turn to the church for answers, they will not find the same old watered down version of Christianity but they will find people on fire for Jesus Christ. They will see a clear difference between the world in which they're living and they're looking around and saying, I I can't, this this is not, even as a non-Christian, they will not be able to understand why things are, and they'll turn for other answers and they will not come to the church and be confused. They will see a clear line driven into the sand that says, here's who we are. Here's what we stand for. Here is truth, and there'll be a clear choice for people to follow. There will be a clear difference. People were set apart for God. They will find love and truth without compromise, they will find a peace, joy, and contentment that has been lost in the past in a sea of gray. Everything goes, everything It's oh, it's just invited all in. They will be able to find true peace, true joy, and true contentment that had been lost in a sea of gray. God will be moving. They will have a clear, they will find it clear. There will be a clear path from darkness to light. There will be no confusion as the church, as the remnant of God stands for God, stands for Jesus Christ, stands on the word of God, holds on to the word of God and lives out the word of God. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look, we're going to look at God's word and find strength and encouragement. We're going to find, we're going to find true strength and encouragement as we look to the past to, to discover our own future. God's Word is clear. We are not in a confusing confusing time biblically. This has happened time over after time after time. And as we look to God's Word, we're going to find strength for our own future. We'll take comfort in the truth that God is doing a new thing. It's good. A new thing in our country. He's doing something new. And we will gain, we, we will gain a better understanding of what it means to be a disciple of, a follower of Jesus Christ. We will see how God throughout history uses a remnant to do what seems to be impossible. Anyone who has a discouraging heart right now, because you look around you and you see, how can this be turned around? No, this has happened before and God has raised up a remnant and done what seems to be impossible. We will talk about those things. We will study those things. The sun, my friends, is not going down on Christianity in America. It is not going down. You need to remember the darker things get, the easier it is to see the light. The darker things seem to be in a place, the easier it is for people to discern darkness from light. It's easier to see the light. God is not wringing his hands in heaven, wondering how this is all going to turn out because he's in complete control. He's been in complete control. He will always be in complete control. Our job is not to worry. Our job is to stand and be counted, to be a voice in the wilderness, crying out the testimony of Jesus Christ, telling the truth of what we live for, who we are, what we stand for. Our job is to share the truth, to ask where the good way is, and to walk in it. Even if you're the last one or the only one walking. Even if you are the last voice. I want you to just bow your heads with me. I want to pray with you. If you would, can you stand up? Let's stand up together. I want if you could, grab the hand next to you. If you could just slide over. Let's grab hands here this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, We believe in you and we trust you. We have faith in you. We know things look sometimes discouraging. We hear the news and we, we watch how things are transpiring and we see your word being trampled and you being mocked. We watch shows about how, how pastors live in different parts of the country and, and how their daughters act and, and how people play with snakes and all these kinds of shows that try to undermine who you are and discourage discourage us Father we're being pressed in on every side but we will not be shaken we will not be moved we will stand for you hand in hand with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world We will stand for you. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We want to be your remnant. We want to be a church that's healthy and strong and speaks the truth in love to all those around us but will not compromise your word. We will not redefine what you have established as marriage. We will not redefine anything, Lord God, that goes against what you have clearly laid out in your word. But as a church, from speaking for myself as the pastor of this church and those around me, we will not compromise. We will not shake and backpedal. We will not go along to just get along. We will stand for your truth, even if we are the last voice. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.